My question is, is, I know we didn't really talk about any of you guys' backstories, but as adventurers, have you guys met up prior to the like this whole adventure? Do you want me to try and tie something in on how you guys meet up? Uh, I would prefer that. Okay. I mean, that that's kind of what the uh, initial thing is, right? Like, you meet in a tavern, how do you guys interact with each other? X, Y, Z oh, happens. You guys aren't meeting in a tavern. Well... Yeah, I'm just that's using that as a the, That's usually the first session, though. Yeah, yeah. yeah. at least from the g- campaigns I've played, it's okay, like the well, DM kind of gives a real prisoners. Then for a session zero, actually, this act could this will tie into the everything. Peter, you took the hermit background, didn't you? Yes. Okay. Boom. Hermit. That if you're not available this week, that's how it'll tie into the session zero. All right is you're a hermit and you have traveled by yourself. Gotcha. Sounds good to me. My yeah, character so, has a... Mm-hmm. Sorry, I was just going to say, I, I think uh, it'd be cool if we were all like prisoners or something, we all escaped together. But I'm just an idea. That was actually the last campaign I played. I came through halfway, but everyone else that started the campaign were prisoners of Drow in the Underdark, and there was a big prison break. That was kind of cool. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I was going to go with Mind Flayers, but... Oh, God, no. <laughs> yeah, I don't know um, if level ones can take on Mind Flayers, but... Probably not. <laughs> <laughs> My character's nah, backstory is going to be... Is going to be have a pretty specific story, but when it comes time to meeting up with the other party members, it'll be pretty flexible. Cool, cool. Yeah, well, that's that's more of what I meant, was do you want me to start it off with more of like right at the beginning of how you guys met or you guys have just recently met and are have just started traveling together yeah i think it'd be cool if we meet like in the story yeah or, like, in, in like in the first session okay yeah uh, it would make things um easier for us to write stories that way too i think yeah, because um, the other way we'd be tied, our hands would be tied a little bit. We'd have to incorporate some of that into our backstory, right? Well, I mean, you guys could have just met on the road a week in advance. Mm-hmm. That, yeah, that is true. It's all still new experiences to you, but that's more of that's a, a player aspect of things. But that's easy. Okay, so why don't we just uh, use that in the podcast? So, uh, hello, everybody. Welcome to episode 17 of The Blocks. We're trying a little bit of a different format today. We're just going to uh, talk amongst ourselves for a little bit. And we're going to start by talking about D&D and our characters that we made, the campaign we're going to be doing. So joining me today is Nicholas Hebert. How's it going, everybody? Also joined by Ian McKellen. Still going with McKellen. All right. What's up, everybody? <laughs> Peter Parker. Hey, guys. Happy Saturday or whatever day you're listening to this on. Sunday. It is Sunday here. So. Mm-hmm. And also joined by Seth Robinson. Hey, guys. His mic just gave mm-hmm. up. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> Um, so yeah, so let's get, we can continue our D and D conversation. Uh, we were kind of talking about 
you know, <clears throat> how the we were proposing how the characters have met. So yeah, we can keep going sure. with that conversation. Uh, um, I'd like to know how the since we've only talked by text since it happened and I missed it for the listeners. I missed the first the first like test practice session. So I just am curious how that went. If someone wants to kind of tell me m- more specifics than what was generally discussed over the text chat. Everyone what? died. Was there? Did they actually? Is that how the thing ended? Everyone no. died, and I used your character as a meat puppet. Oh no, that's fine. I wasn't there, so I would expect I would expect someone to do that. I, you, by the way, you guys have my consent to do that. If I can <laughs> not make a session. Just, yeah, just I, don't don't make them act like I normally would make them act, and don't make them kill themselves. Basically. Yeah, I I had in just. Jaeger, your character to mm-hmm. uh, at least have a cleric on the battlefield. Um, yes, I thought everything went pretty smooth. Nice. Um, there were a few things that I probably missed in trying to run a combat myself. Okay. Um, in in the first one, the dragon definitely would have waited until somebody came closer and swung. Oh, on you them guys were fighting a dragon. Oh, and wow. I didn't do that. Just a wormling. Just okay. a CR one. Oh. Um, brass dragon. So is it like a baby dragon, dragon type thing? Yeah. Okay. Yeah, it has. I, was... I beefed up the hit points a little bit because there was five people instead of four. Mm-hmm. Um, but I thought it went pretty smooth. I did get to make Ian's character fall unconscious. Yes, All right. sir. Uh, breath weapon. Ian rolled horribly and I rolled really good for damage. <laughs> Um, but so, yeah. that one was uh, just kind of test test playing characters, seeing kind of capabilities, getting a little feel for the newer players on how combat works. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, we didn't yeah. do any exploring or going through dungeons or anything. It was just uh, basic fights that he set us up against. Well, it's good that you started with that because that's like the longest and most probably intense part in terms of like gameplay mechanics of Dungeons and Dragons. Like, mm-hmm. yeah, in my experience for, cause Tim and Seth, it was your first time, right? Yes. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. So I think the biggest thing, cause I've been doing it since I was a kid and I think I'm trying to remember early middle school, I think is when I did my first uh, D&D thing. Yeah. And same for me. What really blew me away was just kind of how, just fighting what could be like three or four enemies, especially for new players and for people starting new characters that they're not familiar with, can take like four hours, as opposed to a video game where it might take like 15 seconds. So yeah. what do you guys think about that and how kind of slow-paced and turn very turn-based it was? You know, it's like, when it's not your turn, uh, when after you finish your turn, which might take, you know, if you're looking through your abilities, 15 to 30 minutes, Max, um, so, it might not be your turn for another 30, 45 minutes plus. So the characters we have each only have a couple skills, so there's not a lot of things to look through. And the sure. battles that we were fighting were relatively simple. Okay. So I don't think we've gotten to that point yet where they're yeah, very complex. And way stuff. down okay. the road. Yeah. So you weren't, yeah, you weren't too bored or anything? No. So, that's so I think I think it was like... 
two, maybe three rounds of combat in total. Which okay. equates to in like actual live time, um, twelve to eighteen seconds because each round mm-hmm. is six seconds of of is what they consider six seconds. You get yeah. your movement, your action, your bonus action, and everybody's turns. Even though we break them up into it's your turn based off of initiative, all of this stuff is happening at the same time. Yeah. Um. So, and I've I did a lot of. Uh, watching of like YouTube videos, uh, the Dungeon Dudes had a lot of a lot of great informational videos of building combat encounters. Um, awesome. Critical Role has a bunch of them because Matt Mercer just wants everybody to be great. Um, Is he kind of the <clears throat> the leader of Critical Role? I don't watch it, so I don't know the individuals. I know there's lots of voice actors. Was he like the yeah, original guy that put well, it? Well, he together? he's the he's the resident DM. Of the oh, show. okay. Okay. Um, everybody else has done like one shots here or there, uh, but he is the the game master of Critical Role. Gotcha. Um, and he's just a fantastic storyteller, um, in in all of that. But like building encounters and and how to make it interesting for the players is something that I'm looking forward to because it can be pretty boring, and especially when fights get to the point where they could last an hour or more mm-hmm. you need elements in there to keep the players invested in it like having yeah, minions yeah. and other small armies potentially meeting up different things like that and that's where a lot of the research that I'm trying to get into of of figuring out how to keep it interesting for myself and you guys and not have it too overwhelming at first mm-hmm. are you suggesting that there's um, there could be enemies fighting each other potentially. That's yeah, there totally there could be like there's potential that you guys could come into a glade where combat is happening between two separate groups, and you guys could sit there and wait and see what happens, and or jump in and help whomever. Gotcha. Or just like, kill everyone. All, yeah, yeah those, are all, those are all possible. Outcomes. Or you can just walk away most of the time. That's uh, interesting. Really cool how sure. you can just kind of do anything in yeah. D&D. Mm-hmm. I did hear. So, uh, um, Peter, earlier you said something about killing your character. That's something that you can do, too? You can hurt um, yourself? What's that? Are you, you can... are, are you able to inflict harm on yourself in the game? Oh, yeah. And I mean, when I was saying, like, killing character, it's just because, you know, some... I've never had anyone do this, but theoretically, you know, if you're away for a session and someone takes control of your character, it's not really their character. So I have no doubts about any of you guys, but just in theory, you know, one person can be like, oh, I send this guy's character to attack the king in his royal chamber, surrounded by his elite royal guard as a level one, and the character just gets immediately killed, you know? Yeah. So you can basically like like death by guard, death by throwing yourself by alone without armor and weapons into like an enemy camp. I guess know? that's where yeah. the uh, role playing aspect would come into play where do you really think your character would do that? I mean, yeah. if he has well, any not... semblance of intelligence. Sure. Not just I mean, that. But... as as like a DM, mm-hmm. like if it was if it was me in charge of everything and 
Ian was running your character, for example, or anybody's that was on another player, and they said something like that, I would say, no, that does not happen. Like, yeah, okay. Yeah. Like, because, yes, it is a world and, and all of that, but mm -hmm. it's also, like, you're in control of it. Yes. Like, I That's can tell cool you part. that yeah. I can tell you that no, their character would not do that. Their character wouldn't just go stand in a fire. They wouldn't climb the tallest mm -hmm. building in the city and jump off. Like there are, That's because if that was the case, you wouldn't have made the character in the beginning. Yes. Right, you're the gatekeeper for nonsense. Like definitely, Yeah, definitely. if it so happens that you you were running your character and you jumped off cliff to go after something that was falling towards water. Like, yeah, you made that decision. So yes, you will potentially have to live with the outcome if you don't have a way to get out of the fall. Mm. Fall damage sucks. <laughs> yeah. Oh yeah. It's, fall it's like a D6 legal. per 10 feet. <laughs> wow. Yeah. <clears throat> yeah. And, um, yeah, that's, that's no the joke. cool part about being a DM is you can just kind of you can it's a responsibility, but it's also rewarding to kind of you know within reason keep the campaign on track. I remember one person um, I played with one time; it was their first time, and they didn't play again after the session. But they immediately started. I don't know if you know of the entity, like the man with the yellow canaries, Nick. Uh, you know, I vaguely. He's, it's this. basically a god, kind of like Orcus, that has stats in the monster manual, so you could technically fight him. And we were all level ones on our first session, and this person says, you know, just like kept trying to attack, attack the man with the yellow canary. <laughs> and uh, the DM was like, no, you can't do that, no, you can't do that. He complained, and eventually he let him attack the guy, and the man <laughs> killed him immediately, because he's a god. Yeah. yeah. Um, so, it, it's just interesting. Um, as the DM, it's like, how much do you want to keep the players on track with what you have envisioned? And it varies for every DM and storyteller. Everyone has different tolerances and makes every campaign unique. Yeah, I'm more excited Andrew. to see, uh, you know, instances where we use different items and try, um, you know, more trickery or other, yeah, yeah. other approaches to scenarios. Like maybe what if Tim had tried to speak to the, to the Wormling? Mm -hmm. um, because it spoke the same language. Sure. Or try to sure. seduce it, right? Ooh. I mean, you ooh, could ooh, try, ooh. but... I don't know if dragons are interested in that, but you well, could definitely give it a try. Its intelligence yeah. score takes an effect, too. I don't know what the intelligence score on that wormling is. I don't remember. Mm -hmm. but, so, yeah. yeah, like, it... DMing, it, it's totally different being on that side. And even... We didn't really do anything campaign wise. We just did a couple of combats. Like, it's nice seeing you guys as players develop some semblance of, like, okay, these are cool abilities that this player can do that coincide with mine. Like, that teamwork is enjoyable to watch because it can be great or go awfully wrong. Mm -hmm. So in those, like, stealth things that Seth is interested in, like, yes, those will be options, but if it goes wrong, there is potential for, like, guards showing up, 
that are or centuries whatever it just tons of options and that it's amazing yes so, so what uh what uh, alignment are we majority are we just all neutral or i know I we're leaning good right tim's definitely no. leaning good i'm neutral good you're neutral goods i think that's what tim is too what are you guys uh chaotic neutral yep okay. i am too Okay. More like willing to, um, you know, lie to somebody or uh, deceive someone to get access to somewhere or, you know, that sort of thing. Chaotic neutral is just kind of, I don't want to say crazy, but just random without being good or bad. It's just absolute chaos. Yeah, it's more, how does this benefit me specifically? Right. That's kind of my, my hope. And, well, if it benefits you, then it turns into evil. Pretty sure. Not right. necessarily. That evil would be, is that'd be uh, neutral evil. Where what do I? What do I get? What do I get out of it? Mm-hmm. More. So. Is it, wouldn't, wouldn't that be neutral evil? <sighs> no. Like, chaotic evil is just you're a serial killer. That's insane. Yeah. Lawful evil hobo. is like lawful evil is like corrupt politician, and then yeah. neutral evil is just like I don't care about anyone else. I'm just serving myself. I guess you could play it that way. I guess I, I would say chaotic, chaotic neutral is not I w- chaotic neutral. I would say isn't necessarily just going to go out and murder someone just for his own gain. Whereas neutral evil would definitely do that. He would just kill somebody for his own gain. Chaotic neutral mm-hmm. would literally weigh out all the possibilities and then figure out if th- it's worth killing instead of going straight to the killing part. Okay. And so you, you would you would acknowledge really that there's think- downsides to indiscriminate murder yeah chaotic neutral okay i really think that like the alignment aspect of things while it was more of a major role in in the older editions of D &D Mm &hmm. like paladins having to be lawful good um there there aren't those restrictions in 5e and i really feel like the alignment aspect of things like any of you guys could have been like i'm really not sure exactly how the alignment is going to play into my character and till you start playing your character and then we could have figured it out from there gotcha because i mean i've put down for characters like chaotic evil in a fully evil campaign and it turned out that i wasn't really playing it as a chaotic evil character Mm-hmm. So it, it it there's that give and take in that alignment aspect that it yeah it, yeah it, it's yeah, guidelines I be... but I don't feel like it's as black and white as people think that it might be. Mm-hmm. Okay, mm-hmm. yeah, that's why I stay away from lawful good just because I don't want to be a <laughs> a goody two shoes that kind of is like no you can't do that because um, either you like will end up getting into a fight. With with your party members, that could easily end up with someone dead, or you just let them get away with stuff, and then you're not really acting as lawful good at that point, since you're just letting them get away with stuff. And then it's the same thing with evil characters, where you know either you're constantly screwing your party members over, and it's like, well, why would in reality, if you're doing that, they wouldn't be your party members; they just leave, since you're just kind of a detriment to them, you know. So it's just kind of hard to play, I think, at the extremes of both sides. Um, that's why I think it's everybody like, does. 
yeah, it, unless unless that's the campaign setting. Like, sure. If if I was building a world where it was like an an evil based campaign where mm-hmm. the city is either a lawful evil city and that aspect of things, while people are in that city might inherently be evil, it doesn't mean that they're out just murdering people and and whatnot. There there's yeah. tons of other aspects to that evil yeah. concept. Sure, sure. I mean, actually, uh, Seth, did you say almost everyone plays in the extremes? Because I've had the opposite experience, where people are mostly they people like chaotic because oh. it lets you be inconsistent. It doesn't. It keeps you from having to be too rigid. Mm-hmm. So I'll, I'll mostly see chaotic, chaotic uh, good through chaotic neutral. What I was saying is that um, I think it it would be difficult unless everybody was playing the extreme like sure. yeah yeah that's that, what I, that's what i was trying to say right yeah we should mention that we do have an extra person in the campaign that's not on our podcast who is playing a monk so oh, cool cool well, do you know what alignment they are or what they're planning on being so far i do not but how I I'm do a, you do i'm just is it a secret going. no he's uh as far as i know he went chaotic neutral oh, okay Gotcha. Um, yeah, and so, I he, go ahead, Tim. So, uh, we'll, we'll, we'll uh, take a few minutes, uh, to go over our characters in a little bit, but I just wanted to mention that as a new player, um, uh, there's a couple things that um, became obvious to me after playing that wasn't before, and those are that uh, communication is going to be something that's very key us players talking about where we want to position ourselves on the battlefield. Yes. Um, yep. There was times where, you know, a lot of us rushed in and I would stupidly do like an area of effect attack and kind of hit the monster, but also hit in my eyes. Uh, yeah, exactly. So maybe talking ahead of time about like either them staying back or me taking a different action is definitely going to be important. Mm. And that being said, um, Nicholas said that he's he uh, has given us the opportunity to change some of our skills around. And I think I'm going to take that um, chance that he's given us because I, I have too many area of effect attacks and um, that I think are g- going to be more um, more of a nuisance than it is helpful. So I'm going to switch out one of those attacks for something or more powerful attack that just targets like a single unit or something. Sure, sure. I will say, pick whatever you want. I'll be glad to play with you no matter what skills you take. And mm-hmm. I'll have a blast doing it. But sure. from what I've noticed, uh, area of effect skills or excuse me, spells are in quite short supply. And that might just be in the campaigns I've played. This is all anecdotal mm-hmm. experience. So, like, if you have access to AOEs, I would recommend keeping them and then making sure you have a cantrip for your single target. Um, that's worked out really well for me in the past. I felt I've had good damage that doesn't fizzle out when I'm out of my spell slots because you still have that cantrip that you can just keep doing turn after turn. Um, and, like, you know... If the party doesn't have any AoE, you could always have an encounter where there's like 20 um, 
I don't know what a weak humanoid enemy is, a goblin, like something mm-hmm. that will die in one hit, but will do like 1d6 if they hit you. And when you're, when you have like 30 small enemies that are all trying to chip away at your health, you can die really yeah. quick. But if yeah. you have an AOE, you just put it in the middle of them and just like kill mm-hmm. almost all of them. I guess maybe I need to think about changing my cantrips then, because right now, at least, you know, without doing the exploring or anything like that, they seem largely uh, useless. Mm -hmm. Okay. Um, Just have one. Just have a dedicated combat cantrip is what I would recommend mm -hmm. as a very safe, effective choice. Would you agree? And sorry, Tim. Um, It's okay. Tim or Nick. I'm just curious about I was just going to say quickly that when I chose my con- my cantrips, I did it based on more of something that I thought fit my, fit my character's personality instead mm-hmm. of what would be good for a good fit for combat or make the character stronger or something. So gotcha. Um, gotcha. I think, yeah, maybe going a little less flavor and dep- depending more on my backstory and stuff for that. Well, one um, thing, too, is that um, one D&D compared to other games I'll use Chronicles of Darkness because that's the other one I have the most experience with um, Dungeons and Dragons is incredibly combat heavy and I would say the game is designed around combat with options for stuff outside of combat whereas something like Chronicles of Darkness there's equal I would say gameplay detail given to combat compared to social settings you know like everything is considered you can, or you can consider everything an encounter in Chronicles of Darkness, like persuading someone to get your way. Like maybe you're trying to manipulate a CEO to do a favor for you. That would be considered just as much of an encounter as, you know, fighting against another vampire and that. Whereas with D&D, depending on how, how hardcore the DM wants to be about playing according to the rules, I would say combat is much more in-depth than a persuasion check, for example. But you can change that too. It, it, that's the great thing is since it's just it's it's all suggestions, right? Like the dun- dungeon master's guide, the player's handbook. You know, mm-hmm. if, if you don't like something or you want to add something, you can always homebrew it and change it. I think there's sure. actually a, a line in one of those books that says the exact same thing. Mm-hmm. Like these are mm-hmm. just guidelines. Yeah, mm-hmm. says it in like all of the D and D books. But yeah, um, the thing about like. D&D is the most most experience that I have as far as uh, tabletop RPGs. And, mm-hmm. I mean, even persuasion checks, as far as I'm concerned, that is a potential encounter. Like, if you roll poorly, it could be that this NPC misinterprets mm-hmm. how you say something or what you meant, and it could lead to a small scuffle. Oh, it, sure. It, it's, really, it's really up to how the the setting is and what you're trying to bring to your players if they're going around like some dive bars and stuff looking for a particular shifty person and seeking some information and they happen to roll poorly well maybe some of these guys some of this guy's buddies try and uh rough them up in the alleyway as they leave the bar Mm -hmm. like there's potential for all of those things and it it really just kind of depends on where you guys as players head to i mean i'm gonna try and keep give story hooks and things like that but i could 
say, hey, there's this building right in front of you. Looks like there are some guards around it, and you guys could be like, okay, we turn around and walk away. <laughs> yep. It's like, yeah, nope. It happens. <laughs> I'm it out. Happens. Yeah. Like, nope, I'm not interested. Or, and then it's like, okay, so. And and this is, I think, one of the things that scared me the most about even trying to do this was, like, all that time investment of building that, mm. yeah, like fortress encounter or whatever, whatever that might have been. Um, trying to not look at it as well, all of that time is wasted, and reincorporate it later. Sure. Yeah, you can yep. always railroad the party, but that's no fun. Yeah. No, that's not what I'm trying to do. You could do it persuasively, though. Like, yeah, um, send someone say. send someone back there for a reason. Like, maybe they go into town, and then you slip something in where, like, you know, there's some kind of artifact, a treasure, or something. Or, or you could just be like, you've got this whole map laid out with a, an entire session or multiple sessions worth of content inside as kind of a dungeon, and the party, you know, maybe it was that fortress, and the party walked away from it. Well, maybe later they have to go explore a cave, you know, and then you can just reuse that layout that you had and just kind of swap stuff in to sell yep. it as a cave instead of a castle. So you it, you can still... I feel like the, the good DM will kind of adapt in that way where they're okay with quote-unquote giving up some of their work, but they can always just bring it back later with a little bit of, of effort tweaking it and reuse it. And so, like, their work ultimately won't be for nothing. Yes. Um, do you guys want to spend a couple minutes going over our characters? Uh, yeah, sure. So, um, Seth, or whoever, go ahead. Do you mind if I... I'll just go first, just because I'm intentionally keeping my character pretty pretty plain. Um, mm -hmm. I'm playing a dwarf cleric. Um, I forget his last name. His first name is Grimnir, though. And... He's just kind of... I took the hermit background. He's just kind of a, a dwarven outcast. He was kind of wandering around nature, and one day uh, a god took notice of him and chose chose him to be one of their prophets. So... He's he's neutral good. He's kind of, like, does his own thing, but ultimately has a, has a good heart, and is just inclined towards doing good. Part of the reason why he's a cleric, part of the reason why the god chose him, because the god is a neutral good, I think, slash either lawful good or chaotic neutral, I forget, god. So, you know, it, uh, Grimnir was a good, a good pick for this, for this god to represent them. And um, I'm not really sure how he will encounter the party, but as we just talked about, I think, you know, if I, especially if I miss the session zero, that my hermit background will kind of be tied in to how I run into the party. Maybe, you know, you guys are sent on a quest after you all meet each other, and then we run into each other and I join you guys, you know, something like that. Um, and yeah, not, not too much more to say about Grimnir. Besides that, he's just kind of a dwarf. He's a little... <laughs> even though he's a cleric and he'll be responsible for keeping the party safe, he's definitely going to be a bit snarky about it, I think. Mm-hmm. He'll be grumbling while he's healing people's wounds and stuff. So. <laughs> How old is your dwarf? Um, let me pull up the character sheet real quick. Because dwarves can live um, quite a bit. Yeah, like centuries. 
Yes. Well, I want to know if he's like middle aged or like how like is he just a grumpy old man? He's uh 125 years old, so, so middle aged, I'd guess. Okay. He's not. Yeah, he's not too crotchety, but he's also <laughs> not a not a kid either. Nice. Seth, do you want to go next? Sure. Uh, so my character is Maruda. She is a half orc warlock. Um, subclass Hexblade. Um, she's an urchin. She grew up, uh, you know, in bad situations her whole life and had to kind of scrape and claw her way through. Learned a lot of skills like uh, disguising herself, uh, um, sleight of hand. Um, she's, uh, she can use deception, intimidation uh, as skills. Um, she's a charisma-based character. Uh, and with the Hexblade abilities, we'll be able to use her charisma as the um, the modifier. So that's a huge bonus. Um, she's visually, she's uh, cloaked with uh, very little showing. Um, so she kind of looks like a human man from far away. Um, she carries a black longsword that is the uh, packed weapon. Um, for the Hexblade, and uh, for the most part, she's not really willing to talk about herself and uh, will only offer as much information as she has to. She's very secretive uh, until she needs to actually persuade somebody, in which case she flips a switch. Mm, I, I like those characters. I've, I've, I've played some in the in the past, and I've always enjoyed those like mysterious sneak, like secret characters and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, should be fun. Ian, you want to talk about your character? Uh, I can, Tim, and uh, I will. In fact, um, it, it's not my first rodeo, and I, I wanted to build kind of a comedy character, something not serious and just a little bit of fun to play, and not a lot of brain power. So. Um, I play, I'm going to play Gob, the world ender, and he is a goblin barbarian. And, uh, as the name implies, it's just, he's a straight up in your face kind of DPS character. And, um, he used to be a pirate and he has eye patches for eyes and they cover his eyes and they're like little tiny holes that he cut out so he could see out of them. And, uh, (laughs) He's. Uh, I, I'm almost tempted to decrease his intelligence just because I think it'd be a little bit funny and give him a negative score. I'll have to talk to Nick about that, but um, I think it'd be kind of fun just to play a stupid character. And uh, he he has a giant axe, and he he's a tiny. He gets like tiny bonuses to hit larger characters. So I think it's just gonna be a fun time to play something nonsensical and great. Hmm. Sounds like I'll be a good addition to the, <laughs> to the group dynamic. Right on. All right, so I think I'm up here last. So yeah. my character's name is Zyriel Narjan. Okay. And she is a dragonborn druid. And uh, What you kind know, of dragonborn? She, she is a blue. Uh-huh. Her, her skin is steel blue, but... Uh, but she's a blue dragon, technically, so she can breathe uh, sparks of lightning out of her mouth. Uh, I like that. 
Mm, her background is a folk hero. She's neutral good. Uh, her basic storyline is, uh, you know, pretty cliche. One that you've heard before. Basically, as a child, the um, tyrant came to her village and destroyed it because he wanted the valuable resources. And in a heroic act, one of her uh, fellow villagers, I haven't quite figured this part out, I don't know, put her in a basket and sent her down the river or did something to save mm -hmm. her. And she grew up in another village, was trained by a warrior, potentially, in the village until she grew up to be strong. She decided that she uh, wasn't safe slash wanted to seek out the tyrant. So she decided to join this party to kind of roam the land and keep an eye out for him and help people along the way, that kind of stuff. Um, she, uh, I got crap for this from Ian, but she is a dragonborn, ugh, a dragonborn that actually wears a sundress with a floral <laughs> pattern on it. <laughs> she um and uh she you know she's a very sweet person until she's in a dangerous situation or somebody crosses her or something and then um she gets pretty nasty so <laughs> you gotta look out for that don't want to um, cr cross this dragon <laughs> so yeah that's my character in a nutshell uh, do you have any of, uh character art mm -hmm. for her that you want to share or <laughs> yeah, where, where's the sundress? Um, I have had other people apply art to her for me that I find to just be very distasteful, to be honest. <laughs> but um, she, you know, she's an innocent girl. She would never participate in any of that type of activity. So, um, you know, but I think I'm gonna get some artwork commissioned on. Uh, on Etsy or whatever. Ooh. Okay. <laughs> I'll send them a description and see what they can make for me. Nice. <laughs> Very uh, nice. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Anything else anyone wanted to say about their characters? Uh, I can give a quick rundown of Mike's character. Yes, uh, please. Uh, yeah, I forgot about that. <clears throat> yeah, his his character's name is Ted Hitchcock. Mm. Um, he is a halfling monk. Okay. So he's more depth-based. Why is his name Ted Hitchcock? Because if you say it kind of weird, it sounds like 10-inch cock. <laughs> you say it really <laughs> fast. Ted Hitchcock. Yeah, that's good. There you go. Um, also, another <laughs> another joke character. Uh, I used to play D&D &D with Mike down in Florida when I lived down there. Um, we played for probably two, three years in a campaign together. Uh, and there might be some characters from that campaign that show up in this one, uh, just as homages and higher-level characters ah. you guys might run into, because I think recreating some of those characters is a great memoir to those players back in the day. Mm-hmm. Um, it also makes it a little easier to come up with the ideas for said characters because I already know kind of what they did. Uh, <laughs> but 
He's a halfling monk. Uh, I think he's going to plan on going like way of the shadow. So he's going to be more of like your roguish type character without actually being a rogue. He took a urban bounty hunter for a background. So he he kind of has some informants and things like that in cities and can get help get help get information on specific targets you guys might be looking for and also is a viable lock picker with his high decks and uh, that background. That would be good to have. Yeah. I I think the one thing that you guys are missing for the most part is a high investigation aspect of things, um, which isn't necessarily a terrible thing. Um, That's just something that I'll have to keep in mind when setting like DCs for those searches and things like that. Yeah, I have a plus one. Um, I was actually going to ask you about multi-classing later on down the road. and I was thinking about if you allowed it to take a couple um, levels in uh, as a rogue, as a thief, and I'd probably uh, use one of them to. You can add... you can take levels and classes however you would like. That's entirely up to you. Okay. Uh, as the player, it's your character. I will say that it can limit the things that you can do at the higher levels, or not so much the higher levels, because there's a pretty good power jump once you hit 5th level, from 4th to 5th level, mm-hmm. because a lot of classes get 2nd attack, uh, in the care, and the CR of monsters is, when that goes up, it, it really can change a lot of things in how the game plays and how combat goes. So not getting that 2nd that attack can be a little detrimental. That being said, your sure. cantrips level up based off from your overall character level. So you'd still get two shots with Eldritch Blast. Right. Okay. But, again, that's entirely up to however you would like to do it. You're yep. more than welcome to. Cool. We can. I've multi-classed several times. I'm familiar with how it works. We can uh, go over that when the you time comes. You can make a really good character doing it, too. You can make them very, very strong. Yeah. I, I had a druid cleric that was a beast literally mm-hmm. like he just i mean uh, he, was, he was he was a loxodon so he's an elephant so maybe we'll record some of our D sessions we'll see if people um want to hear any of that let us know um so we got about 15 minutes here so let's just move on to a couple other uh topics before we get out of here um so uh last week uh a whole bunch of new magic sets were revealed so i just wanted to talk about that for a few minutes so obviously coming out in a couple weeks here we have dominaria united which you know you can look up uh, all the spoilers basically right now the whole set's been revealed and coming out what's up strong cards very strong cards yes a very powerful set um last dominaria was powerful too Ooh, maybe they're continuing a trend. Yeah. Um, it looks like, honestly, the next few sets are going to be really good. Uh, in the fall, also, 
later this year, the Brothers War comes out, which um, Mishra, Urza, lots of artifacts. Should be some good stuff in there. Winter 2023, we have Phyrexia. All will be one. Mm. And and right in the logo of this, they have the Phyrexia mana symbol, which means uh, they're going to be bringing that stuff back. And I don't think we've seen Phyrexia mana, like, you know, we see it here and there, but a ton of cards in a set in a long, long time. And uh, that'll be pretty interesting to see how that stuff affects standard and whatnot. Um, spring of 2023, we have a, a brand new product, to my knowledge anyway, March of the Machine. So that'll be interesting. I don't I have no idea what's involved in that set. Fall Sounds 2020. Like artifact creatures. Mm, yeah, right. Lots of vehicles, things like yeah. that. Mm-hmm. Um, fall 2023, the wilds of Eldraine. So we're going back to Eldraine. Uh, Give me those adventures. I want all mm -hmm. the adventures. Adventures, fairy tale type of theme cards. That first set was actually really awesome. And it was something original. So it's cool to see them going back there. Um... Pretty soon, honestly. I didn't think it would happen this quickly. But it must have been really popular and sold really well. Um, if that's the case, they should probably make another Battle Bond product. Because that was pretty awesome. And finally, for this list, coming out in winter 2024, The Lost Caverns of Ixalan. So... This, uh, I actually think this is pretty cool because when I first started getting back into magic around 2017, I think, uh, Ixalan was actually the set that was out. So it holds a pretty special place in my heart. Uh, ever since I got back into it, I haven't really stopped. I've kept playing and buying all the sets and doing all the drafts and stuff. So looking forward to another Ixalan set. If you guys don't know, that's dinosaurs, pirates, and clerics, I think. That's Hopefully they stuff. finally make a really good pirate commander. Yes. Is there not one already? Captain Lannery Storm or something. I don't know. There's that planeswalker. But I don't he's not a commander, but there is that nice planeswalker, that black and red Minotaur one. Mm-hmm. Yep. Is there uh, not a good pirate commander? I don't think so. There's there's, there's uh a, brass. There's a mono there's a mono red. Like one I mean oh, it's not like a, a pirate tribal, but he I'm pretty sure he's a pirate right. that when he attacks and deals damage, you get to create a treasure token or something like that. Right. There's a couple partner commanders too, I think, that are pirates. Oh, that's pretty cool. But we need um, more. Well, it's, yes. that's not that's not up for debate. Mm -hmm. Are you guys looking forward to any of these other sets? Yes, all uh, of them. I'm always looking I'm, forward to the next one coming out. So, <laughs> yeah, Dominaria I'm, United. I'm, yeah. I'm definitely interested. I think the Brothers War is going to be really good in the uh, Return to Phyrexia. Mm -hmm. Yeah, Phyrexia. Uh, I first started playing Magic in like 2014, and uh, 
Phyrexia had some sets out at the time, I believe, and I remember that was like my gateway drug into Magic, and I remember the card, like the artworks on the cards were definitely what drew me in. That weird, like, cybernetic, weird, horror, robot shit. Definitely a way to go. Mm-hmm. I've heard that um, the um, Phyrexia mana is actually extremely powerful. So I'm I'm really interested to see how that mechanic will work in draft and and in standard and stuff like that. I wasn't around when that mechanic was originally out, so uh, I'm not really sure. But yeah, really looking forward to all these next sets. I think I said a couple weeks ago in our episode that I've been finding the Boulder's Gate drafts and and the set in general just be kind of not too great um but it, it's provided some entertainment nonetheless um so one more thing i wanted to talk about or a couple of things actually before we go the uh the paul uh paul mcbeth brody smith debate or whatever the issue um basically I'm not going to explain everything that happened, but uh, Brody Smith explains in a podcast his beef with Paul Macbeth and and why they're not getting along. So, uh, and that's debate night. So you can look that up and see what they have to say on there if you're interested at all. And the last topic I will say is um, uh, King Gizzard news. Mm-hmm. Uh, not good news, to be honest pretty disappointing um so they actually canceled their european tour that they were currently on and um the lead singer is having a pretty bad health crisis right now he has uh crohn's disease oh oh Oh, geez yeah and apparently he he's been battling it his entire life and it's it's hitting them pretty bad right now and he's unable to you know live his life his life normally so like i said they canceled their tour and um he went back home to get some treatments at the hospital and i would imagine that this is going to affect um their record releases for the rest of the year they had promised that they were going to do three more and we're at the end of august now and i'm not saying that they can't do it or they won't do it but you know, with his health problems and it getting close to the end of the year, that seems a little bit in doubt. But I would I would gladly take an album delay for him to get better and keep making the awesome music that they make. Definitely. Yeah, I just think that uh, if he's going to be home, um, he might actually be able to finish that stuff sooner. But, uh, you know, he could just be resting and taking a break as well, which would be very understandable so to be honest i don't know like even what crohn's disease is so i don't know how does do you guys have any idea what that you even know, it's, is it's a stomach illness it's a chronic illness usually people in general I, I don't know a lot about it but typically deal with a lot of frequent uh chronic stomach pain gotcha i think like digestive issues as well yeah mm. I've heard of people that have IBS before, which is something, you know, different, obviously. But 
anything having to do with stomach pain and anything in that area does not sound like fun. I guess yeah, anything really. I've heard of people that have like dental, you know, uh, problems with their teeth or pain mm-hmm. in that area, and it just sounds awful. I wouldn't want to ever live with anything like yeah. that. Stomach aches, tooth pain, headaches, those all can be really more obnoxious and troublesome than they sound. They might sound. Mm-hmm. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. I'll throw back pain in there, too. <laughs> oh, yeah. But I think everyone agrees with that. I think everyone's had a tweaked back or something, and your back's not working right. Nothing else feels like it's working right. Right. Yep. Yeah, any pain in, like, the head... <laughs> Uh, head, shoulders, knees, and toes knees area. And toes. Just not yeah. good, you know? <laughs> <laughs> oh, God. Go. Took me a second to pull that out. Oof, that was rough. <laughs> That's what uh, she said. Mm-hmm. So, uh, we got five more minutes if we're sticking to our hour. Okay. You guys have anything you want to bring up, talk about? Actually, why, has does bacon have, why, why does bacon have grease, but grease has no bacon? Hmm. Grease does go in baking. But bacon, not not baking. Right, but... Baking creates grease. Grease doesn't create bacon. Are you talking about no one is ever eating bacon during the movie Grease? Is there like... Ooh, Does bacon never one. make an occurrence in the movie? That's that's a valid, valid point. Is that what you mean? Uh, I, I, I don't, but we can go with that. I'm not sure. All right, Nicholas. What'd you want to bring up? <laughs> uh, I, I saw. I read a quick article actually today about um, the Tactics Ogre remake that they're doing. That's coming out on November 11th, and it actually looks really good. Um, it looks like they're they're doing a pretty in-depth um, character creation aspects, uh, where you get to choose like your birthday, and based off of tarot cards, they're going to ask you questions that will determine certain stats for your character um i just gonna be a um tactical rpg square movements and all that uh it just looks like it'll be decent something i had that... heard i heard that that was the game that actually inspired final fantasy tactics i believe and, it um, yeah i've heard that it's very good if you like tactics you'll like that game so um, yeah, I'm interested in that as well. Looks pretty cool. Uh, oh, they're doing codes for um, Pokemon Sword and Shield for whomever plays that. You can get Ash's team from the Pokemon series on Netflix through Mystery Gifts. Really? Yes. You can just add them straight to your team? Yeah. Sweet. Do you know what that team is? Uh, there was a Dracovich, uh, Dragonite, uh, I think there was a Gengar. Probably Pikachu. Yeah, but we don't really count him. (laughs) He's always there. Uh I mean, it took Ash like 20 years to win. Yeah, yeah. He did it, though. He never ages, too. I swear to God, he captures Pokemon. My theory is he captures all these Pokemon and drains their life force. That's why he looks so young all the time. <laughs> ah, man, it was his first sighting of Ho-Oh. Granted his oh, wish. Oh, yeah, I heard that one, too. 
Yeah, but I re I really like that fan theory. Yeah, I do too. <sighs> yeah, I like I miss Brock and Misty. Bring them back. The OGs, yeah. Mm hmm. All right. Anything else? It. Okay. So I'll just real quick. Uh, if anyone wants to, they can send us an email at theblockspodcast at gmail.com. And don't forget, we have the Facebook group where I'll be posting new episodes and other stories and stuff like that that catch my attention. And until two weeks, thank you everybody for listening. And we'll talk to you next time. All right. Thanks, everyone. Peace. Au revoir. Have a great day.